outgoing Metro van mayor takes a trip to Australia. Who signed off on it and what it's supposed to accomplish? The last straw. We're looking at ways to get convenience without the waste. What the city of Vancouver is doing to get rid of plastic waste. Video game heroes coming to Vancouver. I didn't realize how big it was. The virtual battle over $25 million in real prize money. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Terror at YouTube's headquarters near San Francisco. A shooter opens fire, causing widespread panic. Good evening and thanks for joining us. And that is where we begin tonight with the latest from the largest video sharing website in the world. Multiple employees suffering gunshot wounds are now recovering in hospital. Police say the shooter, a woman, took her own life, leaving investigators to try and figure out a motive. Today, terror inside YouTube headquarters. Shots fired just before 1 p.m. We have a report of... Subject with a gun. They heard seven to eight shots being fired. Police storming YouTube alongside fire and SWAT teams as employees escaped with their hands up, then patted down. Law enforcement says the shooter was female and multiple law enforcement sources tell NBC News she died at the scene. We have four victims um, who have all been transported for uh, for gunshot-related injuries. And we have one subject um, who's uh, deceased inside the uh, building. Uh, with a self-inflicted wound. They identified uh, a female in a, in a white shirt. That's the one we have down uh, in the center uh, court area with the gunshot wound in the chest. I heard a bunch of shots, like a lot, like at least 20 shots, really fast, within a minute or two. One YouTube employee running for his life, saying, I looked down and saw blood drips on the floor and stairs. The focus is on this outdoor dining area with red umbrellas and chairs knocked over. Police seen placing markers on the ground. Google, which owns YouTube, saying it is coordinating with authorities. Patients have been transported to Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. An RCMP officer is facing manslaughter charges in connection with a fatal shooting during a traffic stop back in 2015. Tanya Beja is live in our newsroom with the details on this story. Tanya. Well, Chris, Constable Jason Tate is facing a charge of manslaughter using a firearm. Tate is an RCMP member with the West Kootenai Traffic Unit. Now, back in January 2015, the RCMP were notified of an impaired driver. They located 39-year-old Waylon Eady driving his pickup truck on Highway 3 near Castlegar. According to court documents filed in a civil suit, Constable Tate stopped his police car on the highway ahead of Edie's truck. Tate stepped out of his car and motioned for Edie to stop, but Edie allegedly continued driving towards the officer, hitting the rear of the police car and then carrying on in Tate's direction. Constable Tate shot at Edie and then the truck came to a stop. Edie later died in hospital. The case was handled by the Independent Investigation Office. Crown Counsel reviewed the evidence and approved charges. In a civil suit filed in 2016 against the officer, the provincial and federal governments, Edie's mother claims that Edie was unarmed. The suit alleges the use of deadly force against the deceased was unwarranted in the circumstances. The death of the deceased was wrongful and was caused by the negligence or recklessness of the defendants. In their response, the defendant said Edie's use of the truck on Highway 3 constituted a risk to the safety of other users on the highway. In order to defend himself and members of the public from the harm, the RCMP member was justified in defending himself. 
Constable Tate will appear in court on April 30th. Chris and Sophie, back to you. All right, we'll see what happens then. Thanks, Tanya. Turning now to questions about a fact-finding mission to Australia that a number of Metro Vancouver board members recently went on. It comes just days after board members voted themselves a pay raise and retirement allowance. Ted Chernecki now on the purpose of this trip and why it's raising eyebrows. Well, this was a Metro Vancouver initiative chaired by Greg Moore and Vice Chair Raymond Louie, both of whom, by the way, were on that trip to Queensland along with the mayor of New Westminster, Jonathan Cote, and Surrey Councillor Tom Gill. Now, every year, Metro Vancouver Board votes on a finance initiative called Leadership and Engagement. And last October, they voted to approve a budget of $604,000, of which $163,000 would be for international travel, and the estimate for next year is $618,000. The thing is, this Queensland trip was given final approval only about three and a half weeks ago, and it was about that same time that board members gave themselves a hefty pay increase, plus introduced a brand new retirement allowance for outgoing board members. How can you have a fundamental change in policy like this, which costs half a million dollars of public dollars, without having any uh, dis debate or discussion at, in front of the full board. I mean, the process is, is, is completely absurd. The other question is, what's the purpose of sending four delegates halfway around the world to study another country's rail system, especially Chair Greg Moore, who won't even be around here in seven months? And what could they possibly learn there that the current SkyTrain president, Vivian King, doesn't already know? She spent years there developing the Brisbane system. You know, these kinds of junkets are always questionable at the, at, to begin with, but the fact that he's doing it just before he's about to leave office raises, again, some important questions that the people of Metro Vancouver and, and uh, as well, City Port Coquitlam would like to ask. And in talking to Greg Moore last week via telephone from Queensland, he mentioned this was a working holiday and that he planned to visit the Great Barrier Reef after the Brisbane meetings. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Ted Trenecki reporting. A hidden gem in Squamish burned down overnight. Fergie's Cafe went up in flames, a popular restaurant with locals and visitors. The fire broke out just before 5 a.m. The kitchen suffered the heaviest damage. Thankfully, no one was at work at the time, and there are no injuries. Fire investigators now trying to determine the exact cause. Fergie's is an institution. It's uh, well over 100 years old. Uh, it was an old fishing lodge back in the day. Uh, rumor has it that the whole Brat Pack used to come up here, so Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr., and they used to come fishing up here. And certainly um, the cafe has become quite a... A uh, ritual, a weekend ritual. So, so yeah, beloved is a great way of putting it. The dining portion of the cafe was spared. In a statement on Fergie's Facebook page, the cafe's owner says they'll do everything to be back up and running as soon as possible. Well, a number of B.C. communities pushed back against the government's speculation tax, prompting a tweak to the new rules. Others are now raising concerns for not being included. Jeff Hastings explains which communities fear being left out and why they feel it makes them a target. Squamish was a secret place for a long time. And all of a sudden, the secret is found. And that discovery has had quite the impact on the small sea-to-sky community. Building is booming, the population rapidly climbing, in large part because of people working in the Lower Mainland 
but moving here for the natural beauty and relatively attractive home prices. One of the things the province really hasn't uh, quite come to terms with is how connected Squamish is to the Lower Mainland. We are influenced by their exhaling and their inhaling, so um, we're very much connected. Yet Squamish is exempt from the recently announced speculation tax for Greater Vancouver, parts of the Okanagan and parts of Vancouver Island, and it's causing serious concern. They're not saying that they want a speculation tax in Squamish. What they're worried about is what will happen if they don't have it. We're afraid of um, our housing prices going up even more. Uh, the median house in Squamish is almost a million dollars. And that's higher than many cities that will see the tax. Well, I'm certainly worried about houses going up in prices. The young people can't afford it. Whether speculation is a clear problem in Squamish remains to be seen. The city is gathering data. We're not seeing a lot of foreign investment right now. We're not seeing a lot of transactions. I mean, will this spur more? I think time will tell because right now we, we don't see it right now. The speculation tax isn't law yet. It isn't fully written. It hasn't been introduced. The finance ministry is interested in these uh, uh, kind of opinions. I uh, want to hear from communities like Squamish and I know are, are considering uh, the impacts of the tax, how it works, uh, and if it needs to be expanded and know they'll consider it. A lot of people from the city come here and they buy second house. Should we crucify them for that? I don't know. I am not a politician. <laughs> Jeff Hastings, Global News, Squamish. It's amazing how quickly the time seems to have flown by, but it's now been nine years since Wendy Ladner Beaudry was found murdered, a crime that is still unsolved. Ladner Beaudry was last seen jogging in Vancouver. Her body discovered in the UBC Endowment Lands, now better known as Pacific Spirit Park. RCMP have interviewed hundreds of persons of interest, for the past two years, Ladner Beaudry's family has offered a $30,000 reward for information that could lead to an arrest and criminal charges. But to date, no suspects have ever been named and no charges have been laid. Vancouver police are hitting the streets with new ticket-writing technology. VPD joined Delta Police in using e-ticketing equipment, allowing officers to fill out violation tickets by simply swiping a driver's license into a ticket template that auto-populates. The ticket will then be printed roadside and the information shared electronically with ICBC, decreasing current administrative challenges. It's hugely improved efficiencies. There's less time for our officers to write the ticket, less delay for the motorist in waiting for that uh, coupon. And ultimately, like I said, redundant processes have been eliminated. And quite frankly, every step in the process up until now has been an opportunity for some errors to be made, and they were made. So we're hoping to reduce the uh, error rate. 20 Vancouver police vehicles and 10 motorcycles are now equipped with the e-ticketing e technology. Well, it's not just Metro Vancouverites feeling the pain at the pump. A two-cent increase on April Fool's Day was no joke for drivers in Greater Victoria. Kylie Stanton has more on what the increase is for and how drivers are reacting. The tank fills and the numbers climb. We're past 60 now. It's something drivers are getting used to these days. But here in the capital region, a new gas tax is pushing prices higher than they've been in a decade. 70 bucks for this little tiny car. The extra two cents per liter came into effect on April 1st as part of the provincial budget, pushing the total capital region gas tax to five and a half cents per liter and the current price up to 145.9 cents per liter of regular fuel. 
twice a month, will pay more than $55 a year in gas taxes alone. It's a big price to pay for people to, you know, get back and forth to work. But it's what it will take for the Victoria Regional Transit Commission to move forward with infrastructure and service improvements. That two cents will increase our revenue by about $7 million a year. Those dollars will allow us to improve service, that's our goal, to make transit better, to make it more reliable, to make it more frequent. Plus, we've got a number of capital projects as well. While funding transit also comes in the form of fares and property taxes, this is the first gas tax increase in the Victoria region since 2008. It may be tough on drivers, but transit users say improvements need to be made. I think they need more buses. It's really packed. The only way they're going to get people out of cars is by having a better transit system. And that's the ultimate goal. Our hope is that when people are stuck themselves in the congestion, they will see our buses sliding past and say, hey, maybe that's an option I'll go for. Everything keeps going up all the time. At this rate, these prices could be the thing that drives that decision. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. There's a buzz in downtown Vancouver tonight. The Canucks playing at home, the second-to-last home game of the season, and the first since Daniel and Henrik Sedin announced their upcoming retirement. Our John Hua joins us live outside Rogers Arena tonight. John, what's the mood out there? Well, the mood is a lot of excitement. There's definitely a lot of jerseys with 22 and 33 on them. There's also a lot of signs that say thank you, Henrik, and thank you, Daniel Sedin. And what a difference a day makes. You know, a couple of days ago, you could see tickets for these last two home games that were going for less than $50 Canadian. And once when the Sedin twins announced the retirement yesterday, you look online now, and I saw tickets that were $72 for the Upper Bowl, and they are now going for $500 a ticket. And many people we spoke to, whether they actually were just lucky enough to have tickets from beforehand or whether they actually just spent a little bit more money to go to this game, all of them said that, you know, giving the Sedin twins for everything they've done over these past 18 years, giving them a proper send-off is special. Here's what they had to say. Daniel here. Can't have one without the other. We were just talking about this earlier, how the West Coast Express was when we got into hockey and everybody's gone from then and now it's just the twins left. My favorite players ever, the two of them. First time I ever saw them, they were both two little guys sitting on a bench in the Vancouver airport playing backgammon. And he said, hey, those are our new Canucks. I'm a fan of Daniel City and I'm happy that you guys see this game because my, par- my parents told me that it was a special day for him. <laughs> it sure is. And uh, John, uh, hopefully that young guy was one of those who arrived early because there was a special gift for those folks. Yeah, that's right. The first 8,000 people who entered Rogers Arena were actually going to get a commemorative bobblehead of Daniel Sedin. They actually gave one of Henrik Sedin about a week ago. And tons of people were here lining up right at 5.30, even beforehand, to get their hands on this. They just want something to really remember this moment where they can, you know, just remember being here, seeing the magic on the ice. And I actually saw online people asking whether they could buy whether they can actually buy these bobbleheads off of people when they come back. They don't even have to be at the game. They just want to have it in their hands, Sophie. What a great game to go to. I know that your twins are big fans of the Sidine twins, so I hope you have a great time at the game tonight, Johnny. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sophie. The cutest twins, for sure. 
But first, Canadians throw out 57 million plastic straws a day. But it's becoming more difficult to get them at Metro Vancouver restaurants and bars. As Aaron MacArthur reports, a growing number of businesses are joining the drive to eliminate the straws from the planet and for good reason. There hasn't been a straw in sight at the aquarium for the last decade. The plastic, bad news for the wildlife, both in the park and in the ocean. Last year, the Great Canadian Shoreline Cleanup picked up just under 18,000 straws from coastlines across the country. Little plastic straws, a big problem for the environment. Usually not recyclable or compostable, they end up floating around until an animal mistakes it for food or breathes it in. Straws have already been banned in several U.S. cities, and now Vancouver is targeting them as well through its single-use reduction strategy. We added straws and utensils to our single-use item reduction strategy at the request of businesses and residents. We just received a petition from 110 businesses asking the city to take stronger measures to reduce straws. Restaurants doing more than just talking. Several chains, including White Spot, will now only give customers straws if they ask. White Spot says it has meant millions fewer straws ordered and thrown away. The aquarium urging all restaurants to follow suit. We have the opportunity to do our own little bit over and over again. And when you look at the numbers, the millions of straws that get used every day and thrown away, uh, there's no question in mind that does make a difference, and that's a start. The city's single-use reduction plan will go to council next month. Getting a glass of water with a straw in a restaurant may become as obsolete as smoking. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Another lifeline for the Rio last night as fans scramble to save the landmark Vancouver Theatre. So I made an appeal to Leonard Shine, who is the current owner of this property, and he has granted us an extra month. That announcement last night as the Rio's operator wrapped up a 30-hour fundraising telethon. Staff say they've now received or raised 40% of the $1 million they need. The remaining $2 million to buy the building is expected to come from private investors. Tonight, a Summerland family still can't go back home four days after their house was damaged by a landslide. And the threat of more slides is now causing concerns about Fortis, B.C. gas infrastructure in the area. Our reports from Global Okanagan. The destruction was Friday afternoon, landslide debris slamming into a Summerland home, causing extensive damage, forcing the evacuation of the family, who are now staying in a motel. Today, the water-saturated hillside stable, for now. But water continues to flow down the slide path. Suffice to say you're keeping a close eye on it. Very close eye on it, yeah. An eye in the sky. We are surveying the hillside. The drone photos will be married up with GPS computer software to create a 3D model of the hillside. The plan right now is to uh, uh, monitor this, so we'll be coming back to fly this once a week to see if the conditions change at all. If the hill moves or if there's areas that slough off. The drone captured information, hopefully providing some answers. But that's exactly what the geotechs are looking at right now is, you know, what was the cost? Was it natural course? Was it a diverted course? What went wrong? And what can be done about it? That's right. Such as perhaps diverting the water flow, because it's not just the house that is in harm's way. The district, we're looking at the 
possible uh, impacts on the highway and or the Garnet Valley Road and the water main. And Fortis is very active because their high pressure gas gas main runs on the right of way through the property. The homeowner has lived here for 17 years, says it's the first time he's ever seen any water come off the hillside above his property, but with the ground saturation the way it is, above average snowpack and spring rains about to arrive, this could be an omen of more to come throughout the Okanagan Valley. Yeah, I think so. We're closely already watching our uh, reservoir levels already. So, mm-hmm. Blaine Gaffney, Global News, Summerland. An ominous sight coming at you in Midland, Texas. Time-lapse cameras capture a huge dust storm rolling across the town. Visibility was reduced to near zero in some places. Winds gusting to 50 kilometers an hour. We are hearing tonight from the 13-year-old California boy who spent more than 12 hours trapped in a sewage pipe under the streets of Los Angeles. And we're seeing the one important clue captured by video cameras that made the happy ending possible. This was the lead that led to the rescue, a camera capturing a trail of handprints down a sewer pipe where 13-year-old Jesse Hernandez desperately waited for help. I was just praying to God uh, to help me to not die. When the emergency call first came in, firefighters arrived at this old sewage plant, staring down a 25-foot hole where Hernandez vanished. The water took me. It's uh, sewer drain line heading into the river. The frantic 12-hour search finally coming to an end the next day, more than half a mile away under a busy Los Angeles freeway. We have found Jesse Hernandez. I was awake the whole night, just standing up. It's so nasty. <laughs> but out of my shirt, like in my nose, I couldn't really smell it. After falling through a wooden plank, rushing water swept the young boy into the city's sewer system, surviving the damp, dark, dangerous conditions. To be honest, we were surprised we found him alive. With firefighters searching after sunset, crews scrambled to jar open manhole covers. But the city's sewer system is a maze of pipes and tunnels. Authorities scoured a 6,400-foot grid, twisting and turning in multiple directions. When Hernandez was found, he was standing in a section of pipe only three and a half feet tall, with raw sewage running through it. Specialized sanitation cameras like these have been deployed throughout the sewage system when suddenly one found its mark. You could just hear the, the water running through and it was, you couldn't see anything. It was dark. After he was rushed to a hospital, the 13-year-old was reunited with family. A harrowing tale of survival in a maze of sewer pipes buried deep beneath the city. The demonstration of a new parcel service in Russia didn't go exactly as planned. The Postal Service, local officials and residents all gathered around for the launch of a drone that's supposed to deliver packages. Everything went fine at first. Ooh, until it didn't. The Postal Service blames the drone's manufacturer. The manufacturer says the drone has had no failures in 5,000 hours of flying time. Prince Philip is in hospital tonight awaiting surgery. The Queen's 96-year-old husband was admitted this morning and will have hip surgery tomorrow. Buckingham Palace will only say the surgery was planned ahead of time and says additional details will be issued when appropriate. 
Philip has largely retired from public life, but still accompanies the Queen on occasion. In Health Matters tonight, a new study is warning parents and doctors about giving infants antibiotics. The American study says babies who are given antibiotics or antacids during their first six months of life could have a sharply higher risk for allergies or asthma. The study of nearly 800,000 children doesn't prove the medications cause allergies or asthma, but the scientists say the links are very strong and need further investigation. Parents of children with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, are hoping the new NDP government will give them the help they say they need. As Linda Aylesworth reports, they're trying to change a policy that doesn't allow for extra support for kids with ADHD. Being a parent is hard. Being the parent of a child with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in a school system that doesn't recognize ADHD as an actual neurodevelopmental disorder can be harder yet. Very often these kids are just mislabeled as being lazy kids or bad kids, kids who aren't too bright, which is far, far, far from the truth. He is special and unique in his own way. I'm his mom, so I think he's the most amazing person in the world. But her son, who's 12 years old now, doesn't always get teachers who understand that. A few years ago, Carol was told to stop using ADHD as an excuse for his behavior. It was a smack in the face. I felt hit. You know, I... I just, it, it was, it, I, I was speechless. The stress left her son with anxiety, stomach and headaches, low self-esteem and poor grades. It's a problem that a recent survey of parents by the Centre for ADHD Awareness Canada shows is not uncommon. We found that almost half of the students with ADHD were not receiving uh, help, assistance, accommodation, resources in their schools for their disability. What would change that, according to the centre, is provinces and school boards acknowledging that ADHD is an actual learning disability. That identification leads to educators being trained in ADHD. Uh, Many teachers have told us without ADHD being in one of those categories, they don't really look at it seriously. When Carol's son got a teacher who understood ADHD, everything improved, including his grades. I want it recognized as a disorder, that it's not something that my child can change. Now, BC is considering doing just that, by including ADHD in the draft of a new special education guideline. I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Electric car manufacturer Tesla facing a crucial test for its investors today with the release of the latest production numbers for its highly touted Model 3. Adding to the urgency, recent problems with recalls and accidents. Tesla's Model 3 was designed to bring battery-powered luxury to the masses. Recently named Popular Mechanics Car of the Year, it has more than 500,000 pre-orders. But meeting that demand has been an uphill battle. We're building the cars as fast as we can. At a special Model 3 presentation last July, Tesla founder Elon Musk displayed a chart projecting production at 5,000 cars a week by the end of 2017. But in the last seven working days of last year, they produced fewer than 800 vehicles. They revised their goal down to about 2,500 a week by the end of March. But a reported leaked email from Musk on Monday said that number is closer to 2,000. 
Delivery delays have hurt sales and cash flow. Tesla's shares are down 19% since the beginning of the year. About 40,000 for this one? Yeah, a little bit over. Okay. Auto analyst Jessica Caldwell says for Tesla, the Model 3 is more than just another car. And this is supposed to be their moneymaker. This is their moneymaker. This is what's going to fund the rest of the company moving forward. This is supposed to sell millions. And, um, you know, there's definitely some, uh, some roadblocks there right now. Musk is now apparently overseeing production firsthand, tweeting, I'm back to sleeping at factory. Car biz is hell. The production problems come as Tesla is facing other corporate challenges. Federal investigators are looking into last month's deadly crash in California involving a Model X driving in autopilot mode. The company is also recalling 123,000 Model S sedans to fix a steering problem. It's not a good time for the company right now. And I think they need to instill some confidence in people to say that we can actually do this. And production is the one thing that can do that. Well, those Tesla mob, uh, numbers did come down this uh, afternoon, late this afternoon, and they show that while the car maker missed its production target for the Model 3, it increased its overall production by 40%, and that was enough to ease investors' concerns at least a little, and Tesla shares are up 6%. We have some breaking news for you now. Global News has confirmed Metro Vancouver board members will now reconsider that raise and retirement allowance they voted for themselves last month. After a significant public outcry, board chair Greg Moore today says he plans on introducing a motion at the next board meeting to revisit those amendments. The reconsideration motion will require support from two-thirds of the board. If it passes, the original remuneration bylaw amendment will be back on the floor for debate and vote. We'll let you know. A railroad crossing drama caught on video. Oh, God! A truck driver runs for his life. How it all ended after the forecast. He made it. Let's just put that out there right now. We don't want you to think the guy died in the tease. But well, we'll it, explain it all to you. Exactly. Okay, let's check in with Christy right now for a look at uh, the weather forecast this evening. Thanks so much, you two. Well, it has been a little on the cool side, although we saw some nice sunshine yesterday, but a fair amount of cloud today. Temperatures today only warmed up to 9 degrees. Average for this time of year is 11, so we're below that. But... We are going to warm up, everyone, a little bit to look forward to, that's for sure. Here's a look, though, across the north uh, coast. They had snowfall today in Terrace. Even along the coast in Prince Rupert, they had snowfall today. Temperatures are very cold. These are your overnight lows, and the wind chills will be close to minus 25, minus 30 in some of these areas, especially up into the Whitehorse region. But it's nothing compared to what they're dealing with back east. Boy, oh boy. Uh, winter storm warnings in effect with 45 centimeters of snow for areas north of Montreal. Freezing rain warnings. And gusts up to 90 kilometers an hour tomorrow. Even rainfall warnings in areas like Sherbrooke. So we have nothing to complain about. As I mentioned, though, temperatures have been a little on the cool side, and that's because of that northwest flow. Overnight tonight, a number of areas will see a few isolated showers or flurries, but the pattern is going to change. We're now going to see more of a flow from the west. That means rain for us overnight, but it's just along the southern tip of Vancouver Island and just a bullseye over the lower mainland region. That, though, draws 
drops to the south tomorrow. Those of you in areas like White Rock do have a chance of showers, but generally you can expect it to be a drier day tomorrow with overcast skies and just a chance of showers. But here's with a big change. Tomorrow night and into your Thursday morning, it is going to get wet. And that's when temperatures finally start to warm up. When the rain comes in, it's going to bring in that milder air. So a bit of uh, good news and bad news in that long-range forecast. All right, so here's a look in the northern regions. Again, overnight tonight, very cold. These are your highs for tomorrow. Lots of sunshine during the day. Down through the south, a few flurries overnight, but very isolated and changing over to showers by the afternoon hours across the south. This is where we're going to see the majority of that rainfall. Again, most of it overnight, and then it continues to dry off through the day tomorrow. But then late tomorrow, that wave of rain pushes on shore. It will be wet Wednesday night through Thursday, bit drier Friday, but then we've got another sucker that's going to move on shore on Saturday. But at least the temperature is finally back to spring-like conditions. And here's our weather window for tonight from Ruth Ross, just taken outside of Savannah. Savona, did I say that correctly? Or is Savona, sorry, correct. They just had a little snowfall, and then it was a beautiful day yesterday, so that was taken yesterday in the sunshine. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Caught on video, a train versus semi-trailer collision that ends pretty much the way you'd expect. Cell phone video from Georgia shows the semi-driver scrambling to safety. The crossing gate on the truck, he makes it with just seconds to spare. That's about as bad as it gets. No one was injured, but needless to say, the tracks were closed for a while. Explain that to ICBC. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever the Georgia equivalent is. Yes. Okay, Squire is here. Okay, so uh, it's a big Sedine week. We are no longer all Canucks. We are all Sedines. It's going to be tough for the Sedines to say goodbye, but it's going to be twice as tough for fans to do it. Mm -hmm. You know what? I think they should give a discount to anybody who is a twin. That'd be cool if the entire lower bowl was just made up of twins. That'd be (laughs) awesome. Are there that many twins in Vancouver? Well, I don't know how many twins. I'm sure you will. Who knows? You might be able to fill it up, but it would be cool. Um, After yesterday's announcement, it is now Sedine Week. The uh, first of the two final home games for the Twins is tonight against Vegas. The last one is Thursday. Their final game will be in Edmonton, which is appropriate because Henrik and Daniel have scored more points against the Oilers than any other NHL team in their career. Um, Now, they said yesterday all of their family is coming in for Sweden or from Sweden for the uh, final games. So they're obviously, obviously the centers of attention. But for the other Canucks, they are also part of this. It's going to be special to our team, too. It's going to be exciting, and it's, a lot of players don't get to go through something like that, uh, not only for themselves, but as teammates and to witness it. So that part's going to be exciting as well, but I, knowing the Twins, and myself included, uh, you know, you got to focus on the game. There's a game to be played, and there's a certain um, level that we want to play to, and that's not going to change. Expansion teams, no matter what the sport, are supposed to be as helpless as newborns in their first year. Most expansion team highlights would look better if they had a laugh track underneath them. But not the Vegas Golden Knights. Right from their very first game ever, Vegas looked not like a first-year team, but a veteran team. And they're going to the playoffs as a first-place team. 
there's strong and then there's Vegas strong. In the six months since the Golden Knights entered the NHL, they've won an astonishing 50 games, racked up a Pacific Division clinching 107 points, and serve notice to everybody in the NHL that they're more than capable of competing for the Stanley Cup. I think, uh, you know, when everything's said and done, I think looking back on it, uh, you know, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty special what we've done and, and how far we've come. You know, I think you ask every guy in our room, and they'd say they're having the most fun playing hockey in their lives, so um, that's really what it is. And William Carlson looking for his second short-handed goal in his many nights, and shot score! Expansion teams in the cast-offs who make up the roster aren't supposed to be doing this. William Carlson leads Vegas in scoring with a whopping 42 goals and 75 points. Carlson's previous career high, nine goals. He's one of five Golden Knights players who've scored 20 or more, and practically every player on the roster is having their career year, and they all share one thing in common besides the point totals. When I started the season, there was a lot of guys coming on that didn't have opportunity before. They were sort of pigeonholed in the third spot or fourth spot, and with an expansion team, you know you're going to get more ice time, and uh, guys took advantage of the ice time, the extra power play time, and, you know, perfect example is William Carlson and, and some of the other guys, but uh, when they get that ice time, they took advantage of it, and, you know, they never looked back. Representing all 58 families. In dressing rooms, you always hear NHLers talking about playing for each other. What's different for the Golden Knights is they're the playing for a Golden city Knights that's been united through tragedy. One giant family that truly is Vegas strong. And they're also doing it inside of a building that has instantly morphed into one of the NHL's loudest and one of its best. William Carlson! You no, know, it's definitely unique for sure. I mean, uh, every game we go to our building and when we, you know, after the national anthem, the building stays loud and stays loud the whole game and you know, you always talk about a playoff atmosphere. We, we've had that all year long. Well, someone's going to be out of the playoffs after tonight's game between the uh, Giants and Royals in Victoria. Victoria saved itself from a first-round defeat with an overtime win in game number six. All right, he did some more magic today. Cristiano Ronaldo, Champions League, first game between Juventus and Real Madrid. This is not the magic. It is a Ronaldo goal, impressive, but it's not the one that really is going to get your attention. It's this one. Check this out. Lucas Vasquez tried a measured shot. Here it is. Carvajal. Ronaldo! Absolutely incredible! I don't need to say anything. Another magical moment from a player who can conjure them up out of nowhere. 3-0, Real Madrid. Speaking of a guy who can conjure up magical moments, LeBron James and the Cavaliers against the Raptors tonight. Raptors struggling a bit these days. Look at LeBron, back and in, back and in. Goes baseline, got it. He had 27. The Raptors have lost five of their last eight. Canada, though, at the World Men's Curling Championships, two wins today. In the afternoon, they beat Japan rather easily, 9-2, but they had a rough time with South Korea. They needed this in the 11th end for a... 7-6 win. They are 5-1. and one. There you go. There's going to be a major battle at Rogers Arena this summer. August 20th to August 25th, the International, the 8th International for the game Dota 2, which you can get online for free, but uh, getting up to the level that these guys are at is super hard, and these guys who get to that level are super popular. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen... 
Welcome to the International Dota 2 Championships. It might be the biggest event you've never heard of, and it's coming to Rogers Arena this August. You know, we first started exploring this opportunity. I didn't realize how big it was. I like to compare it to sort of the Super Bowl of esports. It's usually held in Seattle's Key Arena, but that's undergoing refurbishing, so it had to move north to Vancouver. It's a week-long event, and already the final two days are sold out. If it wasn't one of the fastest sellouts for, for something like this, it was up there. It was, I could, you know, the sellout was measured in, in, in minutes, I think, not hours. So what is it that they're watching? What is Dota 2? Five players versus another five players. You try to destroy each other's base through fights or, you know, just like, like sneaking around. But yeah, and whoever destroys the other person's base building wins. And if you can do that, you'll get paid. Last year, the total prize money for this event was almost $25 million. And like other sports, eSports stars are well known and usually young. I like to compare the age range for eSports to the same age range that you would see in competitive figure skating, uh, where they jump in as early as 15, 16 years old on world level, and then you usually see them retire by their mid to late 20s. If you're still confused, think of this event like a larger version of Rugby Sevens. There will be people dressed up in costumes of their favorite Dota 2 characters, There'll be fans from other countries in Vancouver. There will be basically something for everyone. During the tournament, there's always like a beer garden. There's like a, a signing for the, you know, the celebrities, but they're like players. Um, there's games. There's a lot of like random mini games going on. It's, it's, it's a good time. Minus Dota teams in.